Psychedelic integration is the process that takes place after a psychedelic journey and is the opportunity to come to terms with the experience as well as apply the insights learned to one's daily life. I'm joined today by Daniel Schenken of Mount Tam Integration, and he has started a group in the North Bay area for people to come and talk about their psychedelic experiences. He runs the website tamintegration.com and provides many other tools there as well. In this episode, we talk about the integration process and why it's important, as well as the importance and benefit of ceremony and intention around the use of psychedelics. Basically, getting in touch with why you are about to take them and what you want to gain from the experience. We also talk about psychedelics in general and end up discussing and exploring the nature of consciousness, artificial intelligence, and some other trippy stuff. The medicine song for today is called Aguila Aguile by German Verguez and Lupita Castro. My apologies if I've mispronounced the names. The full version of the song will be at the end of the episode, along with a brief description of its meaning and basic translation. I hope you enjoy the show. Here is Daniel Schenken. Daniel Schenken today from Mount Tam Integration, and today we're going to talk about psychedelic integration. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So this perspective of integration, um, I don't know that a lot of people necessarily know what that means from the get-go. Have you found a good way to explain what is integration and why it's important? I think it's a continual practice. I'm, I'm finding good ways. Um, what I'll say for now is it's the recognition that the psychedelic experience, you know, exists within the continuum of our lives and that it is a profound and important part of our lives and as such deserves both preparation for and integration of after that uh, we do better using you know psychedelics for emotional healing and spiritual growth if we take time to process what happened instead of just jumping from trip to trip to trip to trip to trip Mm -hmm. right that make sense yeah so integration is the process of reintegrating back into one's life so coming coming from an intense or powerful experience or any even if it's not intense or powerful just have coming from a psychedelic experience and doing that sort of process work necessary in order to streamline back into one's life. To streamline back into one's life while bringing the gifts back with you, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Quite often things will happen that give us a new outlook or perspective on life. And 
you know, we want to change maybe the way we're eating or the way we're relating to the environment or the way we're relating to our community. And that takes some work. That takes uh, realignment of the lifestyle sometimes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we have difficult experiences that don't necessarily make sense or we're not sure how to keep going or, or, or something was kind of traumatic uh, just either because our minds are complicated and full of shadows or because kind of something actually happened. We had a guide or a shaman or an environment that was inhospitable mm -hmm. and we're feeling a little wounded. Mm -hmm. So whether we have, and, and quite often both of those can be true, right? We can have a harrowing experience that was full of gold and jewels. And so is how do we take the good with the bad and then use that in order to become the person that we were shown we could be. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you contacted me on Instagram, reached out and said, you'd like to come on the podcast. And I looked into what it is that you do integration work. And I thought, wow, this is perfect because this is something I've actually wanted to do an entire episode on. I feel like in general, we as a Western society or American society, we are complete neophytes to shamanism or to the psychedelic experience. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> it's not part of our traditional culture. And therefore we lack some of the wisdom and guidance that traditional cultures have baked into them about how to work with psychedelic plants and how to manage the experience. And in my opinion in my and in my observation, I think that um, integration is often a, a missing piece and probably the piece that's we're missing the most. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people know to prepare and they know about set and setting that you have to prepare your minds mindset. You have to prepare your physical environment to set up yourself to have a positive experience but that a lot of times people just jump right back into life without maybe even realizing the importance or the value of doing integration work and really taking time afterward to you know, like creating an intentional space for that process to unfold. Right. And, and if it's a good one, you might be trying to live those lessons for years. Yeah. Uh, I also want to note you're talking about how this is not baked into our culture. I'd like to add yet. Yeah, I agree. I uh, think we're moving in that direction. We're moving in that direction and we're allowed to create the culture for our descendants. Mm -hmm. Like we're allowed, you know, we honor our ancestors. We're also allowed to be the ancestors, mm -hmm. you know, and create, you know, what, what, what do they say is that, the earth is, borrow is borrowed from our children. Mm -hmm. And so what sort of culture do we want to leave for them? I can't, you know, pretend that I'm much more of a neophyte myself. Right. You know, it's like I have stood on the shoulders of hippies, uh -huh. you know, and, um, and they're, they're wonderful hippies. And, you know, like, you know, the hippie culture and the Grateful Dead culture, um, are meaningful to me and that's still only about 50 years old 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and LSD is only 75 years old. Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, sort of our Western, that's our Western medicine. Yeah. And, but the time has come where we start to realize that we're in community, you know, we're in a collective and the choices we make as a psychedelic collective affect one another and affect what's going to happen in the future. And it's time that we, you know, act like it and start showing up for each other. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, we live in, in the Bay Area and there's a lot of that happening. And so it's it's a really good time and there's a lot of interest. There's a lot of support and people are showing up to be part of that community. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I think that with the last 50 years or so, or the span of time that Western culture has been experimenting more with psychedelics, I think we've hit enough stumbling blocks and we have enough collective wisdom, I think, to co- pull together some common experiences and yeah, start to um, stitch together a fabric of wisdom that mm-hmm. we can offer to other people in the present moment and ongoing. And wisdom traditions are available. Mm -hmm. You know, there are plenty of teachings that come from all over the world that are not appropriated, that are are freely given. Mm -hmm. It's like, please do these practices. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've heard many teachers, please do these practices. Like this is what we knew. The, if the world is going to survive, like we need to show up with more humility, vulnerability, gratitude, consciousness, presence. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get to stand on, on their shoulders as well and receive those gifts. Mm-hmm. And hopefully we use them, mm-hmm. you know, for, for the betterment of all. Uh, what are some of those traditions that you find to be most valuable or have helped you on your path? I dove, I mean, I dove right into yoga and meditation when I was doing a lot of my heavy journey work. Um, I was also, I also was, had a sort of a fledgling yoga practice as well. And and the yoga studio was in the same building as this huge bookstore, huge used bookstore called Smith Family Books in Eugene. And so I would do the yoga practice and then I would go upstairs and I would flip through the books and you know if I had money to buy a book I would buy a book and kind of spend the rest of the day drinking like organic juice and smoking weed (laughs) and so at some point you know the the message was you know smoke less weed eat fewer mushrooms do more yoga practice Mm -hmm. it's like there was there was a sense that I wasn't going to get any new information and it wasn't going to be quite as fun as it had used to be because I got high for years before and had just, and just had a blast. Like I was having a blast for like seven, eight years before the messages started coming. Mm. And perhaps I was being, you know, changed in some way, or I was picking up like little hints, Mm -hmm. but it was, it was like, okay, you're, you're, you're a grown up now. It's like, you can, you have to go and be a man out in the world. And this, this is, this is your direction, but these are not necessarily going to be the tools in the same way and the tools. And so I kind of doubled down on yoga practice and I doubled down on meditation practice and 
kind of paired way back, you know, on um, on substances, and it and it seemed to work, you know, kind of change just changing that ratio up, um, and being kind of more responsible for my growth and figuring out how to be, you know, very grounded and kind of live the truth that I was shown and see if I could cultivate it on my own mm-hmm. was sort of the big message is like, it's like you like being high. It's like, well, why don't you go out there and see if you can figure out how to stay high mm-hmm. instead of just doing it at eight hours at a pop. Right. Yeah. That's, I had actually a very similar, um, progression coming out of my period of heavy journey work. Mm-hmm. I also got heavily into yoga and then meditation afterwards and for much similar reason um, I felt like what I was seeking from the psychedelic experience I kept kind of getting the same messages over and over which was how to actually improve my life the plants were telling me like well you know if you really want to feel like this all the time here's what you need to do Mm -hmm. and you know, I had some resistance to that or I was working at it at sort of a less than full committed level. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, they kept telling me, Hey, you know, it's up to you, but if you really want to get there and you really want to feel this levity, but on a, like a deep, deep level that's grounded into you, you got, you got to eat better. You got to do yoga and get into your body got to clear your mind with meditation and um yeah that sort of shifted my my experience out of heavy journey work into occasional journey work mm-hmm. and, and much more yoga and meditation now did you find that in that period that you started to experience elevated states of consciousness similar to the psychedelic state Um, or that you, you started to breach into that realm just through your sober efforts with yoga and meditation? Well, different things started to become important. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the sort of kooky, magical mysteries, you know, were, were less important to me. This, this, oh my God, like. You know, I think I can make the traffic light change or, mm-hmm. you know, oh, oh my God, like we can read minds and things like that. Or, you know, have some sort of magic powers gave way to, isn't it fascinating to be in my body? Like, isn't it fascinating to feel energy move through my body? Isn't it interesting that I can watch my thoughts and work with them in order to have a better experience and to move me down the path towards what I'm really wanting. All right. So instead of kind of like, like magical thinking, it was, it was just very, it became very simple. You know, it became simple and very sweet. And instead of trying to like figure out a lot of stuff, it was instead of like, how can I get into my heart? How can I be kinder? Um, and things of that nature. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Sure. More of like, yeah, just an everyday practicality mm-hmm. 
but on the more emotional or energetic level. Yeah, and it's like, so like, you know, sometimes we get enlightened, mm-hmm. you know, and and that's interesting and, and sometimes it's irritating for the people we meet, right? You know, mm-hmm. the people in our lives because we get enlightened and then we want to tell everybody that we know the truth and we think that experience is going to last forever. And That seems to be a phase of the journey. Everyone goes through that. Yeah, it's it's initiatory. Spiritual ego. And and the question is, is like, how do we create like a sustainable enlightenment? Because what I realized is I'm apparently going to be in this body on this planet with this personality for several decades. You know, it's like, okay, you're 24 and you got super high and now you're God. (laughs) But it's like you got another 60 years that you got to maintain. And so what what kind of life do we live that supports um the things that we've been shown in a way that is again not annoying for everybody that we have to come in contact with like how do we do that while still while while maintaining a certain amount of like humility and respect for other people who have that experience too mm-hmm. you know it's like fascinating to think we're the only one in history that ever had it like that mm-hmm. and um so you know how do you become like, you know, like your McAlkinen would say, you know, how do you become like, you know, a light of the world? Yeah. You know, how do you become a, you know, a refuge or a sanctuary? How does your, how do you get your enlightenment to, to serve something other than, you know, yourself? Mm-hmm. And it's not by, you know, my, my experience is not by shouting in everybody's face that you're the only one that understands. Right. So how do you do that? What, what, what has... What ways have you found to be effective in spreading that light without being preachy? Well, just, I mean, how do you serve people where they're at? You know, it's like, how do you create opportunities for people to feel safe and connected? And so, like, that's what, you know, Mount Tam Psychedelic Integration is all about. You know, it's not really about me i mean i'm the guy who's talking about it on the podcast but it's like the the circle could run with it doesn't need me to run you Mm -hmm. know i just happen to have the key to the door i just unlock the door and lead the opening meditation Mm -hmm. um but what it is it's a place for people who want to connect you know and and talk about their experiences so that they know they're not alone and they know that somebody understands and that what's happening to them is normal and they can get a couple of, um, you know, a little bit of feedback perhaps about what maybe worked for other people and some support and accountability. Mm-hmm. And so what I find is that the more that I serve other people, like the less I'm really concerned about me, mm-hmm. you know, it's like I'm a better version of myself when I'm like, just creating a welcoming space for other people. Sure. You know, as opposed to, I don't know, trying to figure out how I'm, how I'm getting, how I'm going to get by, how I'm getting along Mm -hmm. and proving that I'm right about something. Mm -hmm. And so how many people come to these integration circles or groups? Oh man, we're, we're so packed. 
um, I'm starting to have to add more circles in the hopes that they'll split up a little. But we got 30 people at the last one. Mm-hmm. And we had to break into two groups and fill up the lobby. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, after about 20 people, you know, we've got a room that'll fit 20 people in a circle, maybe yeah. 24. And it's been starting to, you know, get really full. And in the fall, we'll have more than one group. And we might have one in the city as well. Um, because people apparently want it. Yeah. You know, and it's donation based. It's doesn't, you know, there's a basket out and, you know, I collect pre-registrations, but nobody's ever asked anybody for money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we say there's a basket over there, but there's not like somebody checking you in and making sure you pay. That's counterproductive. It's not what it's about. Right. Because no one's going to get rich off integration circle anyway. Right. It's just a community support tool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how long have you been doing this? About six months. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. That's fairly new. Yeah. Um, and been. what what kind of um, what kind of structure do you offer for like you know how I'm just curious how do you how do you structure it? how do you go about it like one person shares at a time and everyone listens or is there some kind of a, like prompt or something like that? The person who shares gets a tuning fork Mm -hmm. right and so they share and then people can give feedback Mm -hmm. and we encourage people these are you know we set ground rules just you know a good part of set and setting like a really good part of setting is setting boundaries and agreements right it's not just crystal lamps although they're nice Mm -hmm. um you know and sacred pictures so we all agree that it's confidential. Mm-hmm. Nobody's going to come up to you in a business meeting and say, hey, that thing you shared about the time when you were on DMT was really interesting. Right. You know, Nobody's going to talk about you behind your back. And everybody agrees to that and they raise their hands. They make a somatic commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that people agree to is the use of I statements as opposed to you statements. Because it feels really different. Like if somebody's going to be vulnerable... Let's say I'm vulnerable and then the next person says, what you really need to do is this certain type of healing work that I so happen to provide. Mm-hmm. Or what you really need to do is this. No one wants to hear that. You know, it's like instead if I say, what I found worked for me was making sure that I had a couple of days after a very intense session where I could actually just unpack and journal and spend time by myself. And that puts me in a much better place if I have that kind of space. Mm. And then that that somebody gets to try that on without, you know, feeling pressured. Sure. And But they have the tuning fork and they can ring the tuning fork whenever they're done with receiving feedback. Mm-hmm. They can even do it in the middle of feedback, <laughs> <laughs> which hasn't happened yet, but... Yeah. Is um and so that's kind of how it goes. We we do the agreements, we do a little bit of meditation, then we open it up. And for the most part it's one person shares and then receives speed feedback. Sometimes naturally it kind of turns into a discussion towards the end. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's the group energy, that's the group energy. Mm-hmm. Um 
you know, I, I do my best to, I mean, every once in a while, like it's sort of, it's sort of my job to hold the space a little bit. Mm -hmm. So if things sometimes get really technical, like, you know, can you explain to me the method by which you ingested the such and such? Be like, that's not what we're doing, man. It's like, it's not, we're not talking about like how to do ketamine. Sure. It's like some minor moderation just to keep the group on track. Yeah. Yeah. And of course I do encourage people who love to hear themselves talk to talk less mm-hmm. and the people who are shyer to talk more mm-hmm. and, you know, try and leave space for people who, this is some of the, some of the feedback I got is that there are people out there who need space, time and space to build up to sharing, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, whereas I'll spit it right out, Mm -hmm. you know, and there are other guys, usually, you know, there are other people who are ready to just spit it all out. And they're this, they're used to being the smartest guy in the room. They got an answer for everything. Mm-hmm. And if you're the smartest guy in the room and you got an answer for everything, you know, it's, you got to practice shutting up. Sure. Because it's not about you and how smart you are. It's mm-hmm. about like other people sometimes. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed over the course of several groups, any particular, um, themes or trends in terms of what people are struggling with in their psychedelic experience or what they're attempting to integrate or even just some common topics of discussion when the group naturally shifts in that direction. One of the things that I'm interested in right now that comes up a lot is like holding on to it. Um, More and more people are Um, using psychedelics to heal, um, you know, mental or emotional issues as opposed to, excuse me, as opposed to maybe back in the day when it was just a bunch of wild things getting wild, Mm -hmm. right? Or, or, and then learning, oh my God, you know, I can touch God and I want to do that. So we have folks who are kind of a different demographic psychologically um, and they're trying to heal and they're trying to create these healing lifestyles. And one of the things we find is that it, that they're going good for a while and then it starts to drop off like the awarenesses and, you know, the gifts that they receive in the sessions and their discipline to do what they learned in the sessions Uh, starts to fade and so the questions of how do I hold on to this longer does that make sense sure maybe in a similar vein to what we were talking about before just um, that led us to yoga Mm -hmm. and meditation of just not not quite getting like sort of seeking a peak experience or like seeking that breakthrough experience Mm -hmm. and having more and more trouble accessing the same level of insight or that feeling that, that breakthrough feeling. Right. Which in some cases could even just be, you know, the ability to get off the couch, Mm -hmm. you know, or to not 
you know, to not be so anxious and take it out on your kids. Um, which, you know, is exceedingly, that's an exceedingly tough situation. You know, it's like, I can imagine, you know, my depression's very mild. You know, it's very casual, mild, sort of ordinary, you know, 21st century kind of depression. It's not heavy or intense in any kind of ways. Uh, but I can see how, like, painful it would be to, you know, have a, an intense depression or an intense anxiety and to have such relief from it and then to kind of watch it come back. It's almost like like a Flowers for Algernon situation. Remember that book? No. Like high school or elementary school? There was a experiment. Flowers for Algernon was this book where they had this medicine. They had the, this... Or maybe, they, maybe it's a metaphor for psychedelics. Um, but they took somebody who was mentally deficient and they put him on this protocol of medication and he became brilliant and then they took him off of it and he went back to the way he was hmm. and so that's exceedingly painful sure and you know trying to find the tools and the lifestyle that's going to kind of actually support that while you're raising kids and working a regular job and doing all that kind of stuff um you know, is, is, is a real challenge mm -hmm. and, um, and a worthy one, I think. Mm -hmm. so, so that's one of the themes. Yeah. And what, what do other people have to offer or what do you have to offer in, you know, when, when hearing about that kind of challenge that people face? You know, it's, I mean, it's like we, we've said it a bunch of times. It's like, you know, we let's do yoga practice. Let's do meditation. Let's do selfless service. And, you know, I do one-on-one -on -one work with people. And that's great. You know, it's like that. that's really nice when you get to um, work with people, dig into what's going on, figure out um, tools and practices that, you know, kind of sometimes look like yoga or sometimes look like Tai Chi, but they're kind of tailored to an individual and they're tailored to kind of bring us back to the present. Like I'm really into simple practices that bring us into the present and help us cultivate the states that we want to be in. You know, it's like, what is it like? Like what would a five minute practice that helps to assuage our anxiety look like? You know, what is a, what is a five minute practice that reminds us to treat the people in our lives with more empathy and compassion look like? And so when I get a chance to work with people on that level, that's always really rewarding. Mm -hmm. um, but again, it, it also, it requires, you know, a commitment on an individual's part to show up for that. Mm -hmm. Sure. I think that 
perhaps because we're a novice society with psychedelics. There's, there's an aspect of psychedelic use that comes about that's unexpected, mm-hmm. which is that it deepens us. Um, especially for the recreational user who's just having a good time and having a lot of fun. But occasionally in that recreational span of use, there are these trips that bring us deeper. Mm-hmm. And I think psychedelics are a catalyst for a natural process that happens anyway throughout life, that life is a teacher and, and we're often faced with unexpected things that challenge us to adapt and grow and, and change. And there, there's a aspect of discomfort in that, or even, I mean, depending on your reaction to it, agony. Mm-hmm. And I think perhaps people, I don't know how aware people are though, that the that psychedelics can do that, that they, it can catalyze that process and bring you into a place of depth within yourself that is uncomfortable, but there's an opportunity in that challenge as well. It gives you the opportunity to rise, to meet that challenge and to expand and grow in a way that fortifies your oneself and makes oneself more capable. Um, but I think also our society does not equip us to be able to do that. To, to we don't necessarily have the tools that help us navigate that the shadow self or that those aspects of discomfort or a very comfort-seeking society. Um, and yeah, we have a lot of escapist tendencies, I think as a culture, but nevertheless, for those who are willing to cross into those realms, I think that there's a lot of power to be found there. And some people I think naturally have that power. Some people are just naturally gifted with, uh, confidence and whatever. They're just charisma. There's powerful people, but for the rest of us, myself included, there's a journey to find that empowerment Mm -hmm. and to deal with our anxiety and our depression and just deal with the wounds of childhood or whatever burdens that we may have that keep us from our full luminous selves. We have to navigate through those obstacles and find ourselves through those experiences. I think that's exactly right. And when you talk about the escapism, you know, it's, we're very fight or flight. So we will escape, but then we also battle against truth, you know, against, um, it, it, it reminds me a lot of Stephen Colbert roasted President Bush um, years ago when he was president at the correspondence dinner. W. Bush too, yeah. And he says, this is a president who, you know, he trusts his gut, you know, and he's he's consistent. You know, he sticks to his guns. He believes the same thing on Tuesday that he believes on Thursday, regardless of what happens on Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I think we're like that a lot, uh-huh. you know, so much so that, that the guy who wrote that book, who moved my cheese made millions of dollars that, that things that worked for us, um, in the past, um, don't work now. This is another, it's the Warren Zevon, you know, the Warren Zevon song? No. It's called, um, forgive me for, um, it's called your shit's fucked up. <laughs> um, and you know, the doc, he goes to the doctor and the doctor says, your shit's fucked up. And Warren says, I don't see how. And the doctor says, the shit that used to work don't work now. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the times, you know, we're, we're brought up in this culture, you know, by our parents who were brought up in this culture of fight or flight and, you know, uh, very, um, obsessed with, you know, material possessions and status and ambition and things like that at the expense of our humanity and to survive when we were young, you know, we have, we create various, um, coping mechanisms and, you know, kind of maladaptive behavior patterns just to survive when we were young and then to carry that into our adult life and then into a psychedelic journey. Is it going to work? But we're so dead set on protecting that because we think that it's associated with our survival. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm going, this is where that kind of this, these thoughts about ego death come in. It's like, Oh my God. Like if I let go of being X, if I let go of, of being, I don't know, the spelling bee champion of 1993, mm-hmm. then like I'm nothing. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the medicine comes and I was like, no, you're really not. It's like, nobody, nobody can care if you can spell. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, and it feels like, yeah, it feels like we're dying. We're losing this part of ourselves that we thought we needed to survive. Right. And, um, but it reveals a deeper truth. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. But, but it does bring us up against that wall that of truth that mm-hmm. we have to confront and integrate mm-hmm. into who we are. It, but, and as long as one doesn't avoid and try and escape that truth, if you actually can take that into you, even a part of it, mm-hmm. if not whole, the whole thing, just part of it at a time, let it seep into you. Um, it makes us stronger somehow it makes us absolutely. Yeah. I mean the ability, the ability to actually look the truth in the face and accept that that's what it is mm-hmm. and move forward from that place makes you more cap- capable to deal with the unknowns of tomorrow. Right. I, I do think that that's one of the nice things is we become increasingly resilient mm-hmm. and we're, we're more aware of, we, we have a bad pattern. I'm using this word bad lightly. So, you know, I'm not so cool to so, some person in my life. You know, I've got this pattern and it, it, it hurts people around me. And the first time I have to confront something like that, I think it means that I'm worthless. Because there's, that's, there's also that pattern. You know, mm-hmm. this pattern of self-hatred is in there. And then I, I see, oh my God, I did a bad thing. I'm unlovable and I'm terrible and I'm bad and I should be cast out of the tribe forever. Mm-hmm. And that's agonizing. And then our friends say, the integration circle says, 
you're all right. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's not, that's not the coolest thing you could have done for the past 20 years, but you're all right. And you're going to do better, right? You're like, yeah, I'm going to do better. And so it's like the next time you come across the fact that like, oh, I'm really careless when it comes to that. I love myself anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like all of a sudden now we realize that in spite of our flaws, that we're still lovable and brilliant and capable of wondrous things. You know, we see that that's the core of our being. And then these flaws are just accidents almost of our history. Sure. You know, they're peripheral and they could come and they can go, but there's this core of our being that has immense value. And then if we realize that and we start to kind of accept and love ourselves, that's where, you know, we show up for each other, Mm -hmm. you know, that then we can say for the next guy. Yeah. I know you've been fucking up for 20 years, but, but you're okay. Yeah. But I think also that while we are fucking up, we're also learning. Mm -hmm. I think it's very difficult to fail over and over and over and over again without learning. Mm -hmm. Um, The only time you stop learning is when you let the failure win and you stop trying. Mm hmm. I think that we, our cultural view of failure is that it's a negative thing when in fact the road, the road to a deeper success involves failure Mm -hmm. inevitably. There's no way I think to achieve a great, a greater victory and success, especially as related to oneself than to live life fully and, and to immerse ourselves and, if you try and walk this perfect road where you never make a mistake, well, you're kind of skating on the surface. Mm-hmm. You're not really deepening into the arena that truly challenges you. Because if you were, then you'd get into the shit and you'd realize, you'd, ha- you'd give yourself the opportunity to realize the truth of yourself, the truth of the matter of that which you're trying to improve upon. And I think... It can be challenging to see oneself in that way, to really take a deep look. But I think that's the only way to make a deeper improvement is to really take stock, to go down into the basement of oneself, take a look around and be like, oh man, it's moldy down here. It stinks. And to find the resolve to, you know, clean up your act. Right. And furthermore, I think that that's where true confidence comes from is in actually dredging the bottom of the river of oneself and in examining every part of oneself and and making the changes necessary to where you actually feel proud of yourself. And it's of a much greater level and degree than the sort of false confidence that I think we're subconsciously taught to project in our culture um, of like, I don't know, just take a look at um, the successful celebrities or whatever, people with millions of Instagram followers. There's this portrayal of oneself that people project. And yeah, I think that, yeah, just the whole attitude of fake it till you make it. Mm -hmm. Fuck that. You know, don't fake it. Get get real with yourself. Get in there. It's going to be messy, but... You know, when you make it, you make it. And it's 
I think it's a road less traveled, but hopefully one that people will choose more and more um, as they see the greater value of it. Mm -hmm. It's sort of hard to convey just by talking about it, but. Right. Yeah, I think I get it. You know, it's 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 the old, you know, fall down six, get up seven. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like. um, And I got this visual of like when you were talking about people afraid being afraid to fail. um, I often associate, you know, fear of falling and fear of failing. And I was talking to, you know, a bioenergetic expert you know, who, who talked about this very developmental process when we're young of like falling down, getting back up, falling down. That's how we learn to walk. And sometimes there can be sort of these twists that happen, you know, depending on how we even learn to walk that can provoke a fear of failure, mm-hmm. you know, fear of falling and a fear of failing. And it can end up looking like a lot of tightness in the hips, you know, and a very rigid way of moving and a very sort of careful and precious way of moving that like, oh my God, if I make any misstep, and there's that word again, that it goes for both of them. If I make any kind of misstep, then like something terrible can happen and I'll be in a situation that isn't workable, that I'm not able to meet. Um, And one of the gifts that I've found um, you know, in, in, in psychedelic journeys is, you know, the willingness to think creatively and to meet the challenge to meet the bold in the basement. Mm. And, you know, I think part of that is now being shown in, you know, as they're doing more MRIs and, and neurological studies where they're finding that psilocybin and LSD create new pathways in the brain and allow for, um, pattern behavior to give way to um, new and creative thinking mm-hmm. that um, builds the confidence that no matter what comes down the pike at me, I will handle it the best I can. And no matter what I see about myself, I will handle it the best I can. I will not shut the door of the basement anymore to the mold and even worse, like the wounded child aspects of myself that I've not wanted to deal with because it was messy and it made, and my face didn't look good on Instagram. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like when I'm wounded, like it doesn't photograph well, but I'm going to turn away from just needing to look good and, and what my identity might appear to be. And trade that in for an identity of of care and inclusion and acceptance. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, and f- for some reason that it can be such a difficult process. Mm-hmm. I- I'm not entirely sure why. Um, I think it's just not particularly modeled in our in our society in our culture. Mm-hmm. And it's even shameful, I think, in some ways. I'm not saying it's shameful, but I think in the societal eye. Perceived as. Perceived as, exactly. We're supposed to have it all together all the time. When, in fact, nobody really does, I think. I mean, 
I, you have to define I, it all together. Yeah, I think, yeah, true. I, I think the people who are like truly solid on the core level are the people who have undergone this process, mm-hmm. who have gone to the deeper realms of themselves and made conscious decisions about how to proceed forward in that place. And maybe it's not, I, I don't think it has to necessarily involve psychedelics, though psychedelics are a useful tool in that. I think that there's many tools that can help us do that. And many traditions, ancient ones from all over the world, that they've maintained the the value of doing this. Mm-hmm. And somehow our culture has forgotten that and gotten far away. I'm not inter- entirely sure how or why, but... Um, if it ever had it at all. I I think that it probably did at some point. If you mm-hmm. look back at, uh, or if we're just looking at American society as a descendant of European society, there's wisdom traditions from Europe, like right. Celtic and um, Druidic, perhaps. I sure. mean, I'm not deeply familiar with them, but... I guess it depends on what we mean by when we say our culture. Yeah, right. Well, I guess I'm just thinking about the the primary culture, the primary ancestral culture of American culture, which is largely descended from European culture, but also, of course, involves the cultures of the world. But I think that's still the the dominant one without question. I think that it's... um Again, it's really nice that we get to re- that we get to create as we go along. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like and not just think about it as something we're stuck with. Right. You know, they talk. I think uh, like Robert Anton Wilson and that crew, talk, uh, you know, Leary to some extent, talk about being evolutionary agents. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, how do we? How do we do our part? to try and make sure that the species survives. Um, Because it's tenuous right now. Yeah. Like there's no promises. Right. And I just saw Ex Machina the other day. You Mm -hmm. see this? Yeah, seen it. And the guy in there is perfectly convinced that um, humans will be replaced by AI. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, he just states it as fact and be like, oh, that's interesting. Hmm. But then, of course, if these beings actually become sentient, what that means is that we can reincarnate into them. Right. Like if they actually become beings of consciousness that are just silica based instead of carbon based, like I don't see any anything that's going to stop me from taking that form right which would be cool because it would give me an even longer lifespan to work on my stuff Mm -hmm. and a psychedelic experience is really just a question of running a particular program sure on my biocomputer i wonder though if i certainly the first generations wouldn't have i think the full architecture biological or you know whatever the whatever the robot equivalent 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll the, wait. The, the, yeah. <laughs> the, the necessary architecture to... I think that the the architecture of the human brain or the human system, uh, you know, we largely still don't, don't understand it. Right. We, don't, we don't even understand where our consciousness comes from. We don't understand why we are sentient. We have no idea. Um, the two of us. Well, <laughs> certainly the two of us, but I don't think anyone does. I, I think right. that's still a mystery. Um, you know, maybe some yogi, maybe, maybe the enlightened ones do. I mean, certainly well, there are things that are spoken about it. Yeah, there's Sankhya philosophy. Say again? Sankhya philosophy. Okay, what's that? Sankhya philosophy is the kind of creation story about how consciousness, uh, you know, supreme consciousness descends into matter. Mm-hmm. And it's a little bit like um, the Kabbalah tree of life, how like, you know, there's God up at the top and, you know, it, it kind of descends down through these various um, energies and manifestations and then you know, you've got a person with 10 fingers and 10 toes. Mm-hmm. And and so there's this kind of step-down model of like supreme consciousness and that becomes, you know, it, various forms of intelligence and the way that the mind works. And then that sort of thing happens. And like the body is like the very last step. Yeah. And so, you know, for, for my money, and I, again, I'm not complaining, complaining, I'm not saying that I exactly am right or I know, but it seems to me that if you start with the body and poke around for consciousness in the brain or, you know, I think at some point they maybe thought it was in the liver, um, that you're going to come up empty. But if we think about the body as, you know, the manifestation of consciousness, then you know, it's, it's just sort of, it, it makes more sense to me, mm-hmm. you know, that it is, a, you, know, you start thinking about, oh, it must have started in the brain because that's as far back as I remember is when I had a brain. Mm-hmm. It's a very egocentric um, way of looking at things, egocentric, materialistic way of looking at things. Right. Yeah, I suppose. And, <laughs> uh, you know, but my feeling is that the, the human body is the perfect vessel for consciousness. It, it sounds like that this philosophy agrees that it's the direct manifestation of consciousness. Yeah, built it this for, for this. Chris, crystallized into form or manifested into form. Um, and I get that there's an obsession with technology. It's becoming an ever-present, more pervasive part of our lives. But, And it's also natural that we as creative beings would want to create um, another type of sentient and sentience try to create an artificial intelligence. I myself have my doubts. I, I think that we are probably much, much farther away from actually creating a true sentience. If that's even possible. I think people think that that somehow is just on the doorstep, but like said, the, it, if there is somebody who knows the secrets, I doubt it's the engineers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's the people who are cultivating deep meditative states and things of that nature. Um, and I doubt that 
microdosing LSD is going to bridge the gap for them. <laughs> but hey, you know, all the best to them. I mean, if they can do it, that's a phenomenal feat. But I think it's much more difficult than we're led to believe from all the cool science fiction shows that are coming out. Right. I mean, at the very least, it's nice that they're supporting the chemists. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Or the black market chemists. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just, you know, and, and it's on my mind because I saw the show three days ago. Um, it's a good movie. Yeah. Yeah, it's a fun movie. And I, I wouldn't want anybody to think that I don't adore my body. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I really, when I hear about people wanting to download their consciousnesses into computers, I shudder a bit. Yeah. Um, it might be a step backwards. Yeah, I mean, there's so much wonderful information and complexity that comes from the body. Mm -hmm. And it comes from the body's interface with nature um, because the body is ultimately nature. Mm -hmm. And our the way that our minds work is intimately interdependent on the functioning of the physical body. Mm -hmm. You know, so much, you know, they're, they're more and more just finding, you know, how trauma gets caught in the tissues of the body. And that if you want to heal somebody's mind from PTSD and trauma, you can't do it if you don't get buy-in from the body. Like somatic practices have to be part of it. And so this, you know, the, the thing that concerns me, you know, about our increasing technological society is just kind of this, not just sedentariness, but this kind of disrespect and this almost like Cartesian um, disconnect mm -hmm. from, from the physicality. Right. And yeah, I think that there is so much capability of the human body that people aren't aware of or don't tap into. And yeah, it makes me think of what you were said about magical powers and, uh, you know, trying to change the stoplight or I can't remember the other example you listed, but, uh, I've had that experience too, gone through that phase where I, I really started to like this sort of rational materialistic view, scientific materialist view that we're raised under. It started to break down for me at a certain point. And, um, I started to feel that I'm a conscious being in amidst a field of consciousness and that, you know, if there is a God or if there's a, a, a super consciousness that everything exists under its umbrella. It is everything that I can see and experience. It is everything that I am. I'm a drop in the ocean of it and that everything I can possibly see and experience and conceive of is related or directly part of the super consciousness and that me as a sentient conscious being, I can start to break down this boundary between myself and it, which is self-imposed, self-imposed boundary mm -hmm. and begin to actually affect my physical reality 
because my physical reality is actually a part of me as well. And um, all of this is happening in the human body or outside of the human body, but there's no need for technology in that. I think that we don't even understand the technology that we possess in our own biology or in our own consciousness, perhaps because of the limited perspective and paradigm that we operate under. But there's a way to expand beyond that. And I think also, like, it it's, can be easy to get caught up in that sort of magical life and magical way of thinking. And there's a, a more well-rounded way, I think, to live one's life in this in this world. But there certainly is value to degrading those self-imposed boundaries that mm-hmm. we're raised under. What's your definition of magic? Oh, that's a good question. Um, honestly, it's just kind of a lazy word that I'm throwing out there. It's uh, it's hard to define. I don't. I guess on a deeper level, I don't believe anything is magical. Um, I think magic denotes illusion or non non ordinary or supernatural. But I think at a deeper level, everything is natural um, and everything is ordinary. It's just our perspective that makes it non-ordinary. So, you know, if there is a widely held paradigm and people operate under this limited paradigm and a magician comes in and does something that is non-ordinary, they might be held in this high regard when in fact they're really just presenting an unknown aspect of the ordinary to people right. who are not used to it. I would like to share with you one of Alistair Crowley's definitions of magic. Magic with a K? Go ahead. Perhaps that I think just, I mean, it fits in perfectly with what you're saying. Mm. He says that magic is the art and science of creating reality in conformity with your will. Mm. I can say it again. Yeah, please. The art and science of manifesting reality in accordance with your will. Right. So it's like doing what you have to do to make your life look the way you want it to look. Mm -hmm. And it's so simple, but most people aren't doing that. Right. They're just kind of doing what they feel like they think they should be doing or what somebody told them to do or what they heard was the right thing or, you know, they're working within the bounds of their limited ideas about what's possible. Or, and also sometimes avoiding the, the judgment of Mm -hmm. their society staying in the lanes of what is considered acceptable. Mm -hmm. And it also, without any clear thought put into what is your will, so you ask people what they want. I just want to be happy. It's like, it doesn't make any, it's a byproduct. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows now mm-hmm. that happiness is a byproduct, mm-hmm. right? Uh, this is what happens when you create reality in conformity with your will. Then you get to be happy. Mm-hmm. So it's like, can we put some thought into what we want out of our lives so that we can then have some sense if we're getting closer or further away or just kind of paddling nearby? Mm-hmm. Do you know, like, 
so that's Crowley's definition. And then how did he go into how to go about doing that? Obviously there's a physical aspect of that. Like you can, you know, if there's some physical goal, like, I mean, you could, you could apply that to, I want to climb up that mountain and you, you do the steps necessary to whatever, uh, align your will to that goal. Yeah. But I think so. your spirit guide might be the Sherpa. Uh huh. Right. Mm hmm. And the magical implements. And so, you know, because in ritual magic, they're like knives and wands. And, yeah. you know, your magical implements are like boots with crampons. Right. But I assume that there's a deeper meaning and a deeper level that he carries it. Uh, where right. You, but people don't even do it on the basic level. Yeah. Like do the, like do a simple one first. You know, it's like I wanted to do a podcast with you. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a goal to do X amount of podcasts by X amount of time. Mm-hmm. And so the magical tool that I used was Instagram direct messages. Yeah. And very I, effective. It was very, you know, it's like, you know, I could do the the math on the number of responses I got. You know, it's fair. It wasn't 100%. Mm-hmm. But it was okay. And also, you know, I used my discriminating wisdom <laughs> to pick the to try and pick ones that were actually resonant Mm -hmm. you know i'm not on like you know on like a um some girl boss etsy podcast like i wasn't trying to get on like Mm -hmm. you know an etsy podcast Mm -hmm. it's not resonant it's not a resonant vibration right so it's like using those my intuition my powers of intuition and you know um to determine what might be some of the right ones for me Mm-hmm. And so it's like, and then the negative thoughts are like, it's stupid. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say. Your your voice is scratchy. It's dumb to listen to. You know, all of these sorts of things. Um, you should stay home and make money instead. You know, all of this kind of stuff. And it's like, but that's, but I've got, but my will. Mm-hmm. Like this is like in accordance with my will. Like it's like, I'm being drawn to, participate in the psychedelic community in this way and this means that i have to forego beating myself up for mm-hmm. a day and a half mm-hmm. i could beat myself up later mm-hmm. about how my voice is scratchy and everything i say is stupid and just you know deal with those demons right and move forward anyway it's mm-hmm. part of the magic mm-hmm. is subduing the demons yeah that's what demon subjugation actually means Hmm. in this case. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's something that everyone has to deal with. Even, even those people who we hold up high as successful and flawless. Um, many of those people, creatives and artists in particular talk about, you know, at, at the highest levels of success in whatever field that they're in, they talk about that self doubt, that, comes in and tells them that they're terrible and what they're making isn't good enough. And it's not, it's not in line with what their vision of it is, but you just have, you just have to march forward, you know? And I was listening to a podcast recently with one of the guys who works on like the Mars Rover. And he says at some point, you know, like it's not about, it's not necessarily that humans are intelligent or capable. 
It's like they can sometimes allow themselves to participate in systems intelligently. You know, they can just kind of like, there's just certain things that if you do them, you've got a better chance of having a good result. You know, and I think one of those things is not allowing yourself to be run by self-doubt. Mm-hmm. Just noticing it. That's like, oh, that's just like the self-doubt again. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay, you can yammer in my ear for like another 30 seconds and then I'm going to do the thing that needs to be done. Yeah. That's magic. That that gets rovers to Mars. Hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. Hmm. Yeah. How how many of us are held back just at that point? Mm-hmm. It certainly takes courage to pass beyond it. Um. Well, a couple more things that I wanted to cover. So I checked out your website, mm-hmm. and I saw that you had a profound and intense awakening in 1998. I think we talked about that mostly. Oh, okay. Maybe I wasn't aware of which event that was. It was just like one, you know, it was just one more night on really good LSD. Yeah. That was like, oh my God, like we're all one and everything's perfect. And like, I'm God and you're God. And, you know, it was the enlightenment experience that can sometimes be irritating for the people who care about you. I see. I see. Yeah, and just looking at your Instagram, uh, like, because, you know, there's many psychedelics available and certain people gravitate towards particular ones. Mm -hmm. And just looking at yours, I was like, he looks like an LSD guy. (laughs) (laughs) Based on all the Jerry Garcia and uh, mostly that. But, um, right, I should, what does an ayahuasca guy look like? I have no idea what, and it's just a feeling, but, um, it's like more beads beads and icaroses and plants and stuff yeah plants and stuff yeah um well yeah i guess ayahuasca guys come in all shapes and sizes but yeah so i mean there's many cliches i could offer but but there there certainly is an lsd archetype i'm now looking at my instagram and realizing that i'm a cliche (laughs) (laughs) we're all bad caricatures of ourselves at some point yeah that's true but it's uh it's helpful to laugh at it. Yeah. LSD is one that I wouldn't say it scares me, but I have a deep respect for it. Mm-hmm. Um it's I've done it only 5 times and not in 8 years or so. And the only reason I've done it so few times is every time I did it, it utterly changed my life uh in an un- unexpected fashion and eventually I learned, "Oh, okay, this is a chemical or a substance that that has this particular effect on me. And I have to know that if I'm going to take this, it's going to utterly change my life and I have to be prepared for that. Mm. And, um, I'm not, I'm not afraid of doing it again, but it's just been eight years since I had that journey. Right. And some people just do it all the time. And some people do it all the time, multiple hits. And I, can't understand that i just like they rub it on their hands like lotion yeah it's fascinating yeah and there are their eyes turn into big black glowing discs of uh center of the galaxy or something like that yeah just reflecting back the joy that lives at the center of the universe yeah to me lsd always felt well plants in general feel like being on a crazy roller coaster ride Mm -hmm. and you like look up at 
but it's a roller coaster that has like a um an engine or something and he the little mushroom guy turns around and he's like hey guys we're going for a ride mm -hmm. and you know you're going to be on this roller coaster and it's going to be crazy and it's going to be fun but eventually it's going to bring you back into the station and you're going to be all right but for me lsd I, I went up to the the front cabin and there's nobody in there there's nobody driving and this car mm. is going all over the place and i realized holy shit i have to drive this thing <laughs> there's nobody driving the vehicle and i now have to be responsible i think that there's also an element of responsibility mm. in, in a plant medicine journey as well but I, I wasn't quite prepared for that reality that um, I had to sort of guide this rocket ship. Or worse yet, it's been being driven by those shadow forces. Yeah, true. It's like you show up and then there is all of your greed and your self-hatred and your self-doubt and like this kind of wound that happened in like middle school from some girl and like they're running the show. Yeah. And they're like, we wanted you to do it, but you wouldn't. And so we're doing the we're best we now. can. Yeah. And then it's like, oh. Yeah. And you can either choose at that point to take the wheel mm -hmm. or be a passenger on their But you don't like where they're going. Ride. But no. you don't like where they're going. You yeah. got to do it. You got to do it. But some people don't. They curl up into a little ball and they freak the fuck out until it's over. Mm -hmm. And then they say that, that drugs are bad. Yeah. Um, you know, I found that, you know, going back to somatics, dancing is always a good way. Mm. You know, while that's happening, mm -hmm. better if you're moving around. Mm -hmm. Some of the best advice I, I got, mm -hmm. Grateful Dead show in like 1994, 93. Mm. It's like, dude, you, you got to keep it. dancing. Yeah. That's what it told you? That's what Phil told me. Oh. It's like tapped me on the shoulder because it was like trucking was playing and I was just, you mm -hmm. know, melting down and he tapped me on the shoulder. It was like, you got to keep dancing. Yeah. It's like, we're not, no joke. <laughs> <laughs> it's your savior now. Yeah. Was, Singing too is, mm. uh, is useful as well. Uh, but I, there's, there's always kind of like an awkward transition phase of that place of, starting to get stuck or being stuck and then getting unstuck where you start to dance or you start to sing mm -hmm. and what is being expressed through you is all of the awkwardness and right. stuckness that you feel sure but you have to move through that and you can eventually get to a point where th yeah things start to flow through you again and it becomes really beautiful right and i mean psilocybin was always has always been very sweet as well. Mm -hmm. um, I um, haven't really explored ayahuasca very much. Mm -hmm. um, You've done it though? I, I did it. I did it once. And, you know, I mean, most of my, you know, it's like ayahuasca wasn't big when I was doing a lot of my work. You want to call it work. Um, it came around a little bit later. And I did sit, you know, I sat once and it wasn't as in, it wasn't like intense and agonizing the way most people describe it. People love to tell horror stories about it, but. It was mostly just like 
you should keep doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. It's like, you're doing okay. And you just keep doing what you're doing. Mm. And I was like, okay, well, what do we do for the next four hours? And then the spirit said, would you like to see some of the universe? And so, you know, it was like mostly just very cosmic visuals. And, you know, I did some meditation. I did some yoga practice. And, um, you know, the person who was running the ceremony, you know, kind of switched between traditional Amazonian music and kirtan and spangle. Interesting. And they were all delightful in their own way. Hmm. And, um, and it seemed good. And I don't know if it would be like that for me again. Um, it definitely seemed powerful. And I was kind of aware that it could probably do whatever it wanted with me. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was more gentle than I expected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A good friend of mine recommended to drop all expectations before my first time, which Mm -hmm. I think is good advice for anything. Yeah. Uh, because every, every story that we hear about ayahuasca or about anything else is just that person's individual experience, especially as related to psychedelics. I think the psychedelic experience is so deeply subjective Mm -hmm. and maybe if we look at the entire spectrum and span of psychedelic experience with a particular substance or another, you know, there's some overarching themes, but that doesn't necessarily uh, mean that that will be your experience. I found ayahuasca at times to be deeply, deeply compassionate and gentle, exceedingly so. And, um, especially in my first ceremonies, I really asked for that. I needed that. I, the very, one of the very first things that I said in my internal prayer or narrative was, please don't scare the shit out of me. That's not what I want or need. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm here in a spirit of humility to learn and I, I'm here to learn, but please don't scare the shit out of me. Mm -hmm. And I had this, cautious reservation within me that uh, eventually I was opening up into that and I, and I wanted to experience more of the power of the medicine and of the spirit. And my voice changed the narrative and the voice I was speaking with to ayahuasca change of like, okay, I want to feel more of you, but I still had this energy of reservation and fear and the spirit of ayahuasca, like it, I could feel that it, it knew where I was really at and it allowed me more space and time to actually open up on the even deeper level, even though on the conscious level, I was asking for more mm-hmm. on the deeper, like somatic or energetic level. I was still closed. Right. And, um, yeah, I find that the the spirit of that plant has an intense wisdom and, and it's um a doctoring spirit. Right. Well, I mean I'm aware that we have different moods. Like we have, there's there's yin and yang to all of us. And there are some times when we kind of just like like I'm ready to deal. Like there's sometimes when we feel heroic. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm ready to like 
like whatever this thing is that's tormenting me, like it's time to just face it and deal with it. And like, I'm feeling that kind of strength mm-hmm. and readiness. And that's one thing. And then there are times when, you know, it's, we want a more, yeah, gentle or loving teacher or healer. And it would be a bummer if, you know, teaching only came in one way, mm-hmm. you know, and the, um, you know, this is why, you know, like I, I'm thinking like in, in Hinduism or Tantric Buddhism, you know, the goddesses um, have gentle and fierce faces, you know, and it's still the divine mother, but sometimes she's very gentle and sometimes she's exceedingly fierce. Mm-hmm. And, um, but kind but of, it all comes from compassion. Right. Yeah. Sure. Even, even the fierceness is from compassion and it's, sometimes the appropriate medicine. Yeah. Fierceness is moves energy fast. You know, and this is still, yeah, it's the energy of the enlightened feminine. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you think about birth, you know, giving birth, remember that time when you had that <laughs> female body and you gave birth. Um, but you know, of course some of our listeners will know better than we do, but like that is a fierce and powerful moving of energy, mm-hmm. bringing a new human into the world. Um, one of the things you said, you know, you, when you opened your prayer with humility and, you know, when I talk to people about, you know, set and setting, you know, setting can be set mindset can be very, very subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, but things like humility, surrender and gratitude, um, are big sort of like if you're going to walk into like the kingdom of God, it's like, how would you do it? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you would probably have better luck if you have those sorts of attitudes mm-hmm. as opposed to like, you know, you know, just walking in swinging. Yeah. Like you're in charge. Rolling out of bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good to prepare to meet, meet the teacher. Mm-hmm. And I, I always like to speak to intention as well. It's good to know why you are there mm-hmm. to, and you know, de- depending on the ceremony, some people will set this the space before taking ayahuasca or what, whatever, um, and just go around and offer people the opportunity to speak their intentions. And even if I do speak it out loud, I also speak it internally when I'm mm-hmm. in in that meditative period as as it's starting to come on. Um, I think it's very important to speak to oneself and to the plant spirit or whatever, and just say why you are there. What is it that you want to gain from the experience and just have an idea of that. And sometimes the experience goes along in that line or, and then sometimes diverges and offers you what you really need or what you didn't know that you needed. But Mm -hmm. I think it's good and helpful and important to at least come in from the starting point with some intention of this is why I'm doing this. Um, and you know, I mean, you could take that out as far as you want to even just taking mushrooms with your friends in the forest, even for a recreational experience, even if it's not going to be in this sort of ceremonial context, Mm -hmm. but you can still make it into somewhat of a ceremony 
um, and still have a good time. Yeah. Well, you just have a consciously good time. Yeah. There's nothing better. That can be the intention. My intention is to have a good time. And to... They say it's like the medicine gives me what I need and I hope what I need is a really good dance party. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, How... So are you still partaking in psychedelic experiences these days or is it something that... Is it now a less frequent thing or is it something you've totally left behind or... It's definitely less frequent. Yeah. And, you know, it comes, it comes and goes, you know, sometimes it's more interesting to me than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's certainly, you know, life isn't the way life was when I was 20. Yeah. You know, times were simple. How old are you now? 43. Okay. Is there any plant or psychedelic experience that you haven't had, haven't experienced that interests you? Oh, what? Well, now that you mention it, like, I've never done peyote. I've never done peyote either. I mean, I know the peyote guy. Do you? I know who he is. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) But, um... Who's the peyote guy? Or if you don't want to call him by name, just, like, what is his... Who is he? What's his character? Or what's his story? He's like an INTP. In the Myers-Briggs. In the Myers-Briggs. Okay. Yeah. What is that? What do you mean by that? Well, I'm an INTP, but it's like I was talking to him and I was like, oh, right, this guy's really INTP. And they're just, you know, they're heady and chatty and, and, and they're, they're heady and chatty and then they get, you know, fixated on details sometimes and, you know, they're quirky and they get a little bit um. kind of like, you know, we can get you know, like a little Aspergery sometimes about like the things that we're passionate about. It's just, you know, it's a, he's a quirky guy. I should, I, you know, I, I, I should call him anyway, just because he's a blast. Uh huh. I love you, dude, if you're listening. <laughs> and so how is he the peyote guy? Like he's just, he kind of said ge- too much already. <laughs> he geeks out on that or. Yeah. Okay. He's tuned in. Sure. Yeah, I haven't done peyote yet because um, the right opportunity hasn't crossed my path. Mm-hmm. Most of the opportunities have been through the Native American church. Okay. Uh, like formal teepee ceremonies. And I'm not opposed to it, but just every time it's come up, I haven't felt really called to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as I understand it, it's a, it's a very structured ceremony and it's very... And I say this with a grain of salt because every story I heard about ayahuasca didn't actually apply to my actual experience. So mm-hmm. listeners should take that in mind. But the stories I've heard about the teepee ceremony is that they make you sit up straight all the time. And um, it's just a very kind of intense warrior power kind of ceremony. Right. And um, like I said, I'm not necessarily opposed to that, but it just hasn't really been what I needed at the time. Right. And I would be, the way I've taken San Pedro, which is also mescaline cactus, mm-hmm. has just been to to eat some before going into a sweat lodge or to drink some tea and um, go for a hike or be down at the beach. And I would be more interested in having a, a peyote 
experience like that. That's just sort of, I like to make my own ceremonies. I feel like a pretty, good, like a good American, <laughs> like a good American. <laughs> Damn right. Um, don't tell me I've been <laughs> doing it for 5,000 years. I want to go to the beach. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what we did and it was fantastic. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I, I get there, it. I like the, the beach too. Yeah. There, no, there's a lot of value to, to tradition and I, I appreciate, I appreciate what traditions offer. And also I, I think just in general, I'm somebody who I like, I don't like to, uh, I like to discover the secrets for myself. Um, even if I can read a book and, and get all of another person's insights, I would rather go through that journey myself. Even if I have to fall into common pitfalls, I like to learn those lessons Mm -hmm. myself and really that, that helps me with the integration of something. Sure. I like to have that kind of firsthand experience. Um, but there's only, there's only so many things that we can do that with start out as a brand new neophyte. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I like a blend. I like to make my own ceremonies and also partake in other people's. Right. Mm-hmm. But even people of a traditional background, um, although they're, they're coming from their tradition and from the lineage of their teachers, every person still has their own way of leading right. the ceremony and their own gifts that they bring. So even in the traditional cultures, there's a blend of that. Right. And quite often, even in traditional cultures there, it's being fussed with a little increasingly so to accommodate, you know, Westerners or, you know, North yeah. Americaners. Right. So it's like, you know, the pictures I'm seeing of, of places in the Amazon where ceremonies are being held have changed a lot over the years. Yeah. They're like beautiful retreat centers now. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, uh, a Maloka in the jungle. Yeah. And, um, a simple, a simple bed with a mosquito net and that's all you got. Yeah. And rice and water and they mostly, they mostly leave you alone as far as I understand it back in the day. Right. Yeah. So it's the deluxe ayahuasca experience. Deluxe ayahuasca. But at the end of the day, it's still you and yourself. And, um, there's, there's no amount of physical comforts that can save you from the truth. Right. But it's up to you. It's still up to each person, whether they ultimately decide to go there or not to the Mm -hmm. deeper level. Which is the good thing, that that opportunity is always available. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you about was this talk that you... Can we take a bathroom break? Oh, sure. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Okay, we're back. And I wanted to ask you about your talk or the talk that you facilitated about ketamine-assisted therapy. Yeah. Um, so that's a thing now. Yeah. Uh, they have discovered, they, doctors and therapists and physicians have discovered that the properties of ketamine are really helpful for depression and, you know, some forms of PTSD. 
and that when people take it, they get, um, you know, it's a dissociative and they get disassociated from the habitual patterns that have been keeping them unwell. Mm -hmm. And two of my friends, Greg Wells and Veronica Gold, uh, do this in San Francisco. And Veronica was at one of the circles and she asked if we could do this conversation. And so we put it together and spent an evening talking about it. And we recorded it. People can uh, download the recording of it uh, if they want to hear. Where can they find it? On the website. Uh, what's the website? Just oh, tamintegration.com. Okay. It'll be in the show notes. It will be. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> and right now, there's a big red button on the homepage that says order live stream. Mm-hmm. And it's not live, but it's a stream. Yeah. And um, so, and one of the things that was nice is talking about how it's not a magic bullet. You know, it's like you're not taking ketamine and then everything is fixed. You're taking ketamine in conjunction with therapy Mm -hmm. and intense things are coming up that you haven't looked at for a while that you're now able to look at under this, the light of, you know, this substance that then gets worked on, Mm -hmm. you know, over time in therapy. And there is, you know, protocol with X amount of sessions over X amount of time, depending, you know, on you. On, on your constitution, what they decide. And then that is mixed with a lot of aftercare. Mm-hmm. And it was a really nice evening. And as much fun as it was to, you know, have this conversation with two people who I think are brilliant and doing great work, it was also nice to have, you know, 75 people in a room who are interested in this mm-hmm. and to get to connect with. Uh, people whose lives have been helped and whose children's lives have have been helped and um, you know some old chemist buddy of Sasha Shulgin's is there and this you know person that I met from over there is there and it's just a really interesting crew and it's nice to be able to facilitate that kind of meeting that sort of like find the others you know to take a turn from Tim Leary Hmm. Mm mm-hmm have you experienced ketamine yourself? Um, you know, I did it in Bend, Oregon in like 1997 and I didn't care for it. Mm-hmm. And maybe it just wasn't the time. And, you know, maybe like the house I ended up in, the kids were kind of weird and <laughs> just like wasn't, it just didn't do it for me. Um, I'm curious about the therapeutic aspects. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not inexpensive. Um it's not inexp- it's not expensive it's not inexpensive oh it is it's expensive i see um you're you're signing up for a a protocol of care uh-huh you know you're signing sure. up for you know a, it's a it's a months of commitment mm-hmm. and i am not feeling like i require that level of care right at this moment that that sort of investment would be worthwhile for me just because it's a trippy, weird thing that's interesting. Gotcha. So, um, but I'm watching, I'm hearing about how it's helping people and I believe it. Mm -hmm. And if my options were SSRIs Mm -hmm. or a ketamine protocol, 
um, or if I was constantly ending up in the emergency room with panic attacks, I'd probably go for it. Yeah. But, you know, I'm just a little grumpy if I <laughs> don't keep my blood sugar straight. So uh-huh. it's not, not for me right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wanted to ask about that. It's something that I just heard about just ketamine assisted therapy in general, something I just heard about within the last six months or so mm-hmm. seems to be an emerging, emerging thing. Um, I myself have never experienced ketamine. It just sounded like I, I'm i interested in the therapeutical mm-hmm. therapeutic context because right. The only other context I've heard of is just people putting it up their nose and dropping into a K-hole, which doesn't sound particularly enjoyable. And the people who like it, like it. I guess some people really like it and some people really don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe you can help me out with this, but a K-hole, as far as I understand it, is that you, it's, you drop into this disassociative state. And I believe ketamine is a tranquilizer and... Um, if you do enough ketamine, you like can't really move, but you're still awake and, um, you're just sort of in this K hole that you, you're just there. I don't know. Really I'm well. not really an expert on ketamine. <laughs> I, I do have the benefit of having had a conversation with two experts last night. Yeah. Um, I believe it was designed as an anesthetic for the military. Because if you get seriously wounded and they put you on a different kind of anesthetic, then you pass out and then people have to drag you off the field. Whereas if they give you ketamine, you're dissociated enough that um, you're not as as bothered by the fact that you're severely injured as you might ordinarily be. Mm -hmm. But you can still be conscious enough to walk yourself off the field. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, you need to go over to the medevac. And you'd be like, okay. Interesting. And you'll go. They stopped using it a lot. And they were using it as anesthetic as well because it was fairly safe. But people were coming back having had um, spiritual experiences. Mm-hmm. You know, they put give people an anesthetic and then they come back saying that they merged into the oneness of the universe. And the doctors didn't want to deal with that. Right. So they turned it into a tranquilizer for animals because animals won't tell you about how they merged into the oneness of God. Right. It's not disturbing. They're just going to come back and be an animal. Yeah. It's going to be a cat or a horse. And they would give it to kids a little bit too, because people aren't concerned if kids are visited by angels or fairies or whatever. Mm -hmm. But when grownups do, it's, disturbing mm-hmm. right so interesting how the authorities are threatened by such things mm-hmm. and it, the, it's not easy to box up and they call it a dissociative but people keep saying that they have rarely felt more connected to themselves mm-hmm. it disassociates you from your status and your identity and things like that mm-hmm you know, that are, you know, the identity that we try so hard to maintain. Mm-hmm. And that drops away and we're left with ourselves. Mm-hmm. 
But as far as, you know, I can't properly describe a K-hole because I don't, I've never been in one. Yeah. Um, you know, I've seen people do it. Doesn't look attractive to me. <laughs> but, you know, people like Are their eyes things. open? Sometimes. Yeah. I'm curious. I've had people tell me that I would really like ketamine. They're like, no, you would really, really like ketamine. <laughs> and I always just kind of tilt my head a little bit. I'm like, yeah, but how well do you know me? You know, Maybe you'd like it. Maybe I would. I mean, there's a lot of things people have told me that I would like that I did not like and vice versa. Right. My wife keeps telling me I would like TV shows and she's wrong. <laughs> no, no, you'll really like this show. It's like, I don't want to watch it. Do you even know me? Come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you wanted to also talk about the online integration course that it, your website's offering? Yes. What is that about? So people wanted to go beyond the circle. You know, people want... Excuse me. People talk... You. One of the things you ask is like, you know, what do you offer people who want to do integration work beyond just sitting in a circle and talking about it. And so with some of my partners, we put together a six-week course that kind of runs the gamut for, for preparatory work, uh, during work. Um, we have a... Howie Whitehouse is a PhD and studies a lot of Jung and talks about you know traversing the terrain of the unconscious and subconscious and how to meet the shadow and how to meet the emerging qualities and things like that. And so that sort of thing. And then, you know, a couple of weeks on integration and integrating using um, somatic experiencing, dealing with trauma. Um, uh, Leah Friedman, who runs the podcast called The Psychodologist, is also a, a, she's a psychologist and a permaculturist. And so she's going to talk about, uh, what is the stuff called? Oh, permaculture. And how to like integrate with the community and the world and the planet and with Gaia and things like that. Mm -hmm. And we're very excited. Um, Catherine McLean, who was one of kind of my integration inspirations, um, she was working on the John Hopkins studies back in the day with psilocybin and did a study on mindfulness, psilocybin, and positive personality change. And I thought that was amazing because it was the first time I saw somebody really attach meditation practice with psilocybin. These are like, you know, two great areas of interest for me. And I felt like I had been shouting, you, you can't just eat mushrooms. You got to like learn how to meditate too. Mm -hmm. And people were like, yeah, I guess, but I kind of just want to eat mushrooms. Yeah, And then here was somebody who was like, well, we did the study and it actually makes people a measurably better person. Mm. And so I, you know, I, I really appreciated that. And she went on to um, kind of do some pioneering work with integration circles. And so I was very inspired to do this by, by some of her work. And so she's a part of the training too. And we're, you know, it's a couple of live phone calls a week, one large group call and then one smaller pod call where people can get a little bit more in depth. And we're producing the most high quality inform, uh, information and content that we can come up with. And 
you know, it's designed to be very high touch and very um, interactive. And it starts in September. We're really excited about it. Uh, September 1st or when? September 17th. September 17th. We okay. want to make sure we clear the holidays. Yeah. You know, be, be well into fall. Yeah. Very good. And um, listeners, if they want to sign up, they can use the coupon code or what, what do you call it? The yeah, it's a coupon code. Yeah, coupon code Finch, F-I-N-C-H, and you'll get $50 off the course. Yeah. And access to good good tools and community as well. Yeah, you'll be a, you know, we're building a forum, a private forum that you'll be able to make friends and stay connected with for the rest of your life. Yeah. And um, you can even do it anonymously. Mm -hmm. You can sign up on the forum. Nobody has to, you know, nobody has to know who you are. Right. If that's of concern to you. It's like, um, we, you know, I've built in a couple of things to help, you know, protect privacy in our email is a Proton Mail account, which is end-to-end -end encrypted. Mm -hmm. So if somebody else is using Proton Mail, their emails are safe, mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah, that's something that I eventually would like to incorporate into this podcast as well. Just more community building. So mm -hmm. I think that's a good. It's a good tool. What did you say, Leary said? Find the others. Find the others. Yeah, I think there's a growing number of others of mm -hmm. people who are oriented in this direction and it is important for us to share our experiences and knowledge and, and, um, support each other. Yeah. It's very important. We need to take care of each other. If this community is going to thrive. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Daniel, for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. It was Super fun. Wonderful to meet you in this context and mm -hmm. I'll see you next with the, uh, peyote guy. <laughs> See how no promises. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> but okay, thank you. <laughs> you can find out more about the six week integration intensive at tamintegration.com. And don't forget you can use the coupon code Finch for $50 off. Next week, I have on my friend Kai San. He's a smart guy, and we have a smart guy conversation about archetypes and symbolism especially as related to the characters in mythology and astrology. Storytelling has long been a part of the human experience, and our myths and legends contain allegories that help us to pass on the wisdom of past generations. The medicine song at the end of the episode is called Aguila Aguilae. It's one of my absolute favorites, and it's about the majesty of the eagle. Traditional cultures recognize the herbal medicine of plants and animals, but also the spiritual medicine or teachings that nature carries with it. The animals are archetypes and could potentially be seen as a type of traditional mythology in that the character of the animals instruct, teach, and remind us about how to better live our lives. The eagle is one of the most powerful and revered symbols in North and South American traditional cultures, and this song is about the eagle as grandfather and grandmother as it sings its love song.
Se va 